welcome. This is jazz just the way we like it. Jazz just the way we like it is my weekly podcast recorded live at Brick Arts in downtown Brooklyn, the People's Republic of Brooklyn. We play those classic jazz songs of the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s. Those songs I grew up on and listened to as a young man. And here I am now playing them for your pleasure. And also to introduce a younger generation to that creative, original American art form known as jazz. We also discuss social, political, and economic topics that affects both our lives and our community. I'm in the hope I'm in the studio with my good friend and host, uh, co-host Larry Williams. What's up, Larry? All right, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. What's Happy up? New Year, brother. Happy New Year to you too, man. You and the fam. Yeah, this is uh, the first show of 2023, man. Oh, God. I know, right? Man, just to think about it. Just to yeah. think about it. Man, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we never thought that we would be sitting 2023 in front of a mic. Never. never. Yeah. Not in the wildest. I know. I couldn't even imagine that. There was no such thing as podcasts, of course. Right, right. But uh, here we are, you know. Uh, doing what we do and trying to do it just for you. Uh, so, you know, we always start the podcast off with a, a, a song that has to address the social justice, the social issue, the human condition. Uh, a song that makes a statement. So here's an artist who just about everything he did was about making a statement. And you know this guy, Gil Scott Herod. Uh, he was a powerful poet, artist, and an activist. He had his flaws. Uh, and I just lost this song. Can you talk? Yeah. Um, um, I, I remember him uh, so well. He reminds me also... Of Oscar, I think it was Oscar Brown Jr. who was similar yeah, in yeah. in style and, and dealing with the social issues. Uh, it's just a wonderful that uh, uh, when you when you hear them, I, and like you said, he did have his flaws. Uh, you know, but if you listen, famous one, the, the revolution will not be televised. televised. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, that yeah. was uh uh uh. That was a, a popular song, man. Yeah, even the last poet, I think the last poets used it in one of their one of their. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't their... know which one came first, the version by the last poets or the song by Gil Scott. I forget which one came first, but I know that they, they were both very powerful. They very they dealt directly mm -hmm. with revolution in, in this country and and how what was happening. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's got a different different side to it today, but didn't think it would come in the direction that it is right now. 
in terms of revolution. Yeah, well, so <laughs> folks, that's the song we're going to uh, uh, play that deals with uh, social justice. Gil Scott Heron, and this is one of his pieces called Home is Where the Hatred Is, and it's about addiction. So sit back and, and, and enjoy. Definitely. And yeah. you, can, you can hear 
You can hear the pain there. Yeah. yeah. And he's poetic, man. This oh, yeah. Guy, yeah. It's, it's just uh, a, a powerful piece. And this came out during the, the misc of the heroin epidemic. Yeah. 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 Now, I believe he OD'd, right? Yeah. Gil Scott yeah. died yeah. from a drug overdose. Yeah. Man, but uh, he uh, poured his soul into this piece, and like most of his work. Yeah, I mean, we still see a lot of the drugs going on today. Um, you know, uh, the drug epidemic in the black community sort of flipped with the drug epidemic in the white community because in the 70s and the 60s, man, it was heroin. In the 80s and 90s, it was crack in the black community. Now it's phenanon and other kinds of pills, mainly in rural white community. Right, right. It's, it's sort of, you know, flipped around. And heroin is more in the white community now than, it was, than it's ever been. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. I mean, it's still in the black community. It's been in the black community for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I so, know. You know but you, it, it's so interesting because when the, ju- when, when the drug problem was in the black community, it was classified as criminal behavior. Yeah. But in the white community, it's now a health problem. Yeah. Mental health and physical health. Yeah. And the emphasis is on health and treatment. Yeah. In the black community, it was on punishment and jail. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's definitely what was the case and um I guess that's what the whole idea is. Mm-hmm. Uh the the criminalization of uh, marijuana and, and uh, Yeah, that's that's now that's the issue, man, 'cause uh, we, we we got a generation I see it as a, a generation gap. Okay. You know, because uh, young people see marijuana more as a lifestyle. Yeah. Uh uh they have Incorporated, especially in young blacks who, um, in some way, uh, marginalized on the you know the edge of society, marijuana is a day-to-day uh, a thing. I've seen it in my family. You know, smoking is the way of coping with today, yeah. every day. Mm. Uh, uh, and that that was a new new kind of uh, thing, you know. And now it's, well, of course, uh, to a large extent, in New York and certain places, marijuana is legal. Yeah. What do you feel about this, Larry? Well, I, for me, you know, like, I, it's not a thing that I would, I would do now. Yeah, you know, I understand. Kinda, but it is something that um, I think needed uh, to be decriminalized because of the fact that... Yeah. There are health uh, health things that can happen with marijuana. Uh, I don't know how it will affect the uh, the overall uh, community because uh, some people, like you said, like the young people today, they they smoke every day. Yeah. I mean, if you go outside in any yeah. street, any neighborhood, you're gonna you're gonna come you you can get a contact high. A lot of, I yeah. mean, I, I walk yeah. out of my my building. Sometimes I can get a contact high, basically, yeah. for just from uh, the amount of marijuana that's going. Um, but I don't. I I I I think that we we we. I don't think that it's addictive to the point. Yeah. I don't think that it's addictive. No. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but <laughs> if you're using it. 
just to cope? That's not how it was. I mean, that's not what it was used to cope. It was used yeah. just to have fun. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And to get the munchies and, yeah. and you know, to start laughing all over the place. So I agree with you, man, because it's just like a segment will use it for one way and another segment uses it another way. And the concern is that segment that uses it the other way. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, marijuana, you know, has that two main ingredients, the THC and the CBD. And the THC is the component that uh, uh, gets you the high. And the CBD has all these municipal benefits, and, they, and that stuff really works. So they now can cut, practically reduce the amount of THC in it and increase the CBD for anxiety, depression, seizures, all kinds of, 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 kinds of disorders. Do and they, I mean, like when somebody takes a, C, takes a for the CBC, do they feel high or do they just? No, you don't feel high because they reduce the THC oh, okay, in it. okay. So it's not it's yeah, not it's not mood can, altering. Exactly. Okay. You can uh, be, be prescribed marijuana. Yeah. Um, my daughter was prescribed for seizures. Okay. And you know she didn't have no effect from it. Right. Uh, but it helps you know uh, slow down the activity of her nervous system and help with the anxiety that she was experiencing. Right. Right. And uh, sort of. Contributed to preventing her from having seizures. Right, I got it. So uh, our knowledge of drugs has, has, has immensely advanced. Yeah. And and the good thing about it is that through this legalization, uh, they can control the content in terms of the amount of THC and the amount of CBD. I I, I was watching a program by Mariana. Ronzella, who is the, does trafficking or traffic? Yeah. And what came out of that was that there are um, places that are legal now, but the the black market is selling more than these legal places because yeah. it's so hard to get mm-hmm. legal. Yeah. They have all these bureau, bureaucratic stuff mm-hmm. that's coming in the place of. Uh, setting up a shop, uh, growing stuff, that a lot of the, the people that, that she had on her show were doing it underground. And yeah. they were making a lot more money because now... Yeah. Well, you, you know they are. Yeah. But, 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 you know, they just opened their first dispensary in New York City. Yes. But you know it's a big market, brother. Oh, yeah. So it's going to, it's going to, the legal one will definitely oh, it'll grow. Oh, oh, yeah, it'll, overtake the other one. Oh, well, well, yeah. You well. know, I would, ha- I would not be surprised right now. The licensing, this was kind of nice what they did, the governor and the legislators. They gave priority to people to get a license to open a shop to legally sell marijuana for those who were convicted of marijuana charges. So they have a chance to reform their life. Yeah. So I, the first place that opened up was Housing Work, which is a not-for-profit that does a lot of work with people who had histories of substance abuse. Okay. So, you know, that was kind of, you know, uh, and, and the monies that they make, the profit they make, will go back into the work that they do. Oh, well, that's, that's cool. Yeah. But I think that's like the only one that's opened up in the city that's legal. Yeah, because it just started. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's, it's, it's you know there's a few in the process of opening. Right. Because they just started issuing the licenses. Okay. Okay. But uh, 
We'll see where it goes, man. But yeah. I, I'm concerned about the young black kids who it's a way of life. Yeah. And how that, and many of them that, that, you know, that that's a way of life or not doing well in school or can't find work or things of this nature. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and does this make their problem further more difficulty? Does it take that problem further? Because it's not a solution. It's a coping. Yeah, uh, if that's if that's what's happening, uh, it's not a good thing because it's not the way to cope with things is not through a drug. Yeah, no. Because you just got one more problem be, yeah. besides the, the problem know. that you had. Yeah, and that's typically what happens when you use drugs in order to uh, get away from something like that. So uh, I don't know what the uh, I I I mean I didn't know that it was as profound as you as you indicated. But um, oh, yeah. overall, I think that it, I think it was a good idea in terms of of, yeah. of legalizing it because all these people that were going to jail for like crazy amounts of years for just yeah. you know selling marijuana. My 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 uh, son told me about a place that he was working at, and he was working you know was a, uh, doing some you know manual labor stuff, and, uh-huh. and I'm not going to name it. Yeah. And at night, you know, it was like the night shift. And when they had their lunch break, everybody w- went outside and smoked reefer. Yeah. And then they came back in and went back to work. Yeah. You know, uh, that was something that's unimaginable yeah. oh, from no. our experience. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, you know, yeah. but that's the so, way it is these days. So there was times Tiny would come by. No, I'm saying going <laughs> back to work. We ain't going nowhere. <laughs> oh, he came by my job one time. And I... I said I would never do it again. Really? <laughs> I could not. I mean, I was. I barely made it through that day because of, I, 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 did, I didn't. I did not like what had happened. Yeah, day. I hear you, man. Yeah, that I, was, I didn't want. I didn't want to work. No, know? I know. I know. In you the sixties and seventies, that was difficult. Yeah, different times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, uh, yeah. I was just, you know, different mindsets, different everything. But. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Well, anyway, this that's the way it is. So yeah. you know. Uh, it's here, and it's here to stay, and yeah. we, we got to uh, uh, cope with it. Um, so that's our song on social justice, Gil Scott, you know, and, and the issue is, is marijuana, legal, it's here. Let's get to some jazz. Today's show is on jazz flute players. Uh, and, you know, flute is an instrument a lot of people do not associate with jazz. Uh but it goes way back. It goes way back. And uh, the first piece we're going to play is, uh, was done in 1973. Bobby Humphrey, female jazz flutist. And her style of jazz was fusion jazz, jazz funk or soul jazz. And believe me, she, she was the first instrumentalist, uh, female instrumentalist, uh, that was uh, uh, given a contract with Blue Note, with Bobby Humphrey. And it's, it's interesting on um, how she got out there to be known. Uh, oh, man, I just got rid of Bobby Humphrey. I need to go back and put her 
music back up. But she got she performed at the Apollo Theater. Was that our first gig or yeah, first major gig? Maybe? That was our first piece. She was at the Amateur Hour. Ah, okay. At the uh, Apollo Theater. Did she uh, did she make it through that round? Or did, did, did I think she won. Or did, did the Sands come? <laughs> The Sandman come off and sweep no, no, off. <laughs> no Sandman. Uh, she won at the uh, Apollo Theater. Oh, wow. That's great. I mean, uh, so the people recognize her, her, yeah. her, her talent. Yeah. I think that was in 1971. And uh, she uh, went on from there. Very quickly got signed and... Uh, uh, went on, and she played with a with a with a lot of different jazz performers, and built a reputation. And uh, here's a song that was done by uh, Bobby Humphrey, called Harlem River Drive. Uh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, uh, Eddie Murphy. Uh, not Eddie Murphy. Eddie Palmieri also did a version of it. Yeah. So, Bobby Humphrey, listen and enjoy.
Wow, man. Herbie, I mean, uh, Bobby Humphrey, man, on a piece called Harlem River Drive, uh, recorded in 1973, man. That was, uh, oh, man, that was that jazz funk, man, and funk was heavy in the 70s, brother, especially if you took the mothership, if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You traveled with George on the mothership, brother. You was into that funk. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, how'd you like that piece, Larry? Oh, that was beautiful, man. There was one one point where she talked about the baseball lights and the projects on the side. (laughs) I knew exactly where that was. I remember, like... You know, riding on on the Harlem River Drive and coming back from the yeah, Bronx. Yeah, yeah, Yankee Stadium. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yankee Stadium was right there. I think Swampy used to live up in the Bronx, and we would be coming back from his house one time. Mm-hmm. And man, I remember that that ride it was such a great ride. I mean, like I had the music going in the car. It was like, wow. oh yeah, oh and, yeah, and just yeah. moving, oh yeah, just moving with it, brother, grooving with it. Yeah, and it was beautiful, man. And, That's and, why I do. I I said, wow. I, I know exactly what she's talking about. Yeah, and that's 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 Bobby Humphrey, man. She she when she came out, man, with that big afro, she yeah yeah she, she yeah. was bad. She was bad. Yes, yeah, she was. She was definitely. Yeah, man. Yeah, I bought I bought a couple of her albums. Matter of fact, yeah. I can't remember the names of them now, but I I know I I I really dug the way that she played. I liked her yeah. style. Oh yeah, I like. She, she brought look. Yeah, uh, she had the look. She had. Yeah, she, she was reflective of the seventies, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, man, she had that that kind mm. of beat and tempo, that funk that you know was so popular, man. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely popular. Yeah. Wow, here's another guy from the seventies, man. Uh, you might know him. I know you'd know him, Herbie Mann. Herbie, Herbie Mann. Yeah, the you man. Know, uh, he had a groove approach too to his music. Herbie Mann's a Brooklyn man. Went to Lincoln High School, man. She said Bay. I mean, in Brighton Beach. Wow. Yeah, man. This cat was performing uh, from the 50s. Uh, and he was one of the first to play, you know, Afro-Cuban style. You know, he traveled to Africa to concert in 1961, I believe. So he was, you know, wow. yeah. very early with the State Department. I, see, I um, remember seeing him down in the gate. Yeah. yeah. This is a piece that he recorded in 1971 called Push Push. And we, you know, folks, we're, we're, we're emphasizing and we're playing music by uh, jazz flute players. So the first one was Bobby Humphrey. And now listen to Herbie Mann, a piece in 1971 called Push Push. So uh, sit back and enjoy.
Yeah, the jazz funk is strong. Herbie Mann, Push Push, 1971. Man, oh man. Larry, speak to me, brother. All right. That was really, really good. I, I mean, he played his heart out on that, man. I could, I could see him, like, oh, just playing the way that he that he was playing that flute. I could, I could it was so energetic. Uh, and the, uh, the guitars behind and the bass behind. Oh man, I, it was it was just I I mean I I, I really dug Herbie anyway. He was like like uh, <clears throat> I I thought one of the greatest flutists. Uh, oh yeah, of, at least of my, of my time anyway. Oh, and uh, I love listening to him. He was so popular, man. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was definitely. Yeah. He would be down at the gate. He. Yeah, you know, I forgot the name of the, the song that was really popular by him. Oh, there was a few songs, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but those were the, those two play those two folks we played, Bobby Humphrey and Herbie Mann. Man, they took that flute to a different level. Yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. they they really incorporated that groove and funk in their music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Folks, we're we're playing uh, songs by jazz flute players and. Uh, Here's something new, different. This is Youssef Latif. Yes, the and man. I, another yes. man. Another one. And Ahmed Jabbar, another genius. These are two geniuses, man. And this was recorded much later in their lives, in 2012, and they were in their 60s. Yeah. And they collaborated together. And Youssef is on the flute, and Ahmed Jabbar is on the piano. Uh, and this is a piece called Masara. So sit back, it's a little long, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So.
Seniors are getting an extra $2,000 uh -oh. from this senior I stimulus program, month, but you can get it only Sorry if you claim it. That. This senior uh, benefit boost. For some reason, I did not see this one coming. Uh, so that's, uh, we just got to pick it up from there. Sorry about that.
Jamal and uh, Youssef Latif on a piece called Masara, and they recorded that in 2012. Larry, how'd you like that piece? Very creative. Yeah, very creative. I what I like about uh, Youssef is how light he can play that flute, how lilting it can be. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, it's like he has the you know the touch is just there the the the, the, the right amount of wind to yeah, blow. It's everything. not an easy thing to do. Not yeah, I know. And Amos Jamal, forget about him. He's very a, creative. Very creative. I, I my daughters took me, I think on my fiftieth or my fifty fifth birthday to see him at. Uh, that was a long there. time ago, folks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, after you really, really, and uh, I, I love that. Uh, oh yeah, thing with him. But Ponciano was. Uh, oh yeah, that's his. That's his class. That's that. That's his. That's his signature. So, yeah, uh, signature piece. And I got. I learned that one from uh, Snooky. Snooky yeah. was uh, used to be. Uh, that's how yeah. I got it to him. You can tell he's classical. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, we didn't play the whole piece because the whole piece is like seventeen minutes and. Yeah. Uh, we uh, wanted to get some more jazz flutists in there. And uh, so we played three quarters of it, folks. And uh, so we have time to play these next two songs, especially this guy. Uh, you know him, Roland Kirk, <laughs> uh, who is known as an instrumentalist who plays more than one instrument at any one time. Uh and he was blind since the age of two. And this is a song that he did called Serenade to a Cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rosanne Roland Kirk, Serenade to a Cuckoo, recorded in 1972. So, folks, sit back and enjoy this piece. We're proud to play Serenade to a Cuckoo. Oh, <laughs> 
man. That's Rosan Rolling Kirk. That's, That's a brilliant piece of work, man. Uh, serenade to a cuckoo. Larry Rosan was amazing, man. That was amazing. I didn't, I didn't know that he was <laughs> at the end. He took. Uh, he was. He was playing the instrument out of his nose. Yeah, at the, at the, the flute. The piece, flute. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, the small wooden flute. Yeah. Um, man, he played a lot, a lot of music. With a lot of one of the things people don't know about Roland Kirk, man, he's very outspoken, and that his shows, man, he used to talk about uh, black history and the civil rights movement in between his songs. Didn't know that. Didn't know that about yeah. him. I, I just noticed, like, he, he did, seemed that uh, the garb that he had on was Afrocentric. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was curious when I when I when I saw that. I said, "Well, he's wearing Afrocentric garb. Uh, somebody has to be dressing him because he can't see, right? If he can't yeah. see that oh, somebody no. must exactly be, yeah, yeah must be dressing him. But he must tell them." what he wants to look like. Yeah, and they told him what he looks like. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Double way street. Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed this show, man. This was uh a focus on uh jazz flute players, man, and we played a few of them. We couldn't play every, all of them. There's such great flute players going way back. There was a number of people I wanted to play, but because of time restrictions, unable to play. But uh, we're going to end it on one song, man. And this is guy, probably one of the most well-known jazz flute players around, Hubert Laws. Hubert Laws. And Hubert Laws, man, is classically trained, Juilliard graduate, played with the New York Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, played with the Philharmonic Orchestra, and he's been playing a jazz musician for over 50 years. And this is a piece that most people know, Amazing Grace. No one, no one comes close to playing Amazing Grace like this. Well, we're going to end with this piece. And I'd like to make two dedications to this piece. Uh, last Sunday was my daughter's birthday who passed away in August, and I'd like to dedicate this to her. And also, next coming Monday is MLK Day, Martin Luther King, dedicate also to him. Uh, Larry, thanks for being here, bro. Thanks thanks for having me. And, uh, oh, man, this was a great show today. Um, yeah. A lot of great music, and, and uh, our topic today was, you know, something that, I'm a little bit familiar with, and and uh, um, I, I'm glad that you brought this up because uh, it's going to happen. Yeah. Whether or not you, uh, you fight against it or not, it's, it's definitely going to happen. And uh, hopefully, it, it will bring. Hopefully, it will be for the good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people to talk about it. So this is it, folks. <clears throat> You've been lost. The genius, amazing grace. So Nessa, this is for you. And also Dr. King.
Thanks for listening.